I invite you to join with me in a prayer before I preach. Jesus, I thank you so much for the Sermon on the Mount. It is so inspiring and challenging. And Lord, I ask that you'd help me as I preach. I pray for each one of us, for your Holy Spirit to come and fill our lives and empower us to live this life. I ask it in your holy name. Amen. So to treasure things is a human reality. It's not a bad thing. We all treasure things from the youngest to the oldest. It's just a natural part of being human. Children have their treasure boxes maybe where they collect up knickknacks or gifts they've been given. They keep things in their treasure box that are important or special to them. Um, Teenagers treasure pretty much universally. They treasure their electronic device. They sleep with it next to them on their on their pillow. It's very precious to them. Um, Adults of all ages um, treasure even bigger things. And it's not even things necessarily. It could be a relationship. It could be a certain job or an experience you've had. This morning, I asked you to think about something that you treasured at a certain point in your life that's no longer part of your life. And as I was thinking about that question, I sort of surprised myself where I landed, but I was brought to mind of the first apartment that Heather and I had when we were married. Uh, surprisingly, I even remember the address. It was 535 West Cornelia Avenue in Chicago on the north side. It was urban. We didn't own a car. I lived there for three months while we were engaged, um, and I was working a new job. I didn't know a soul in the city. And then um, I went home to Pennsylvania. We got married, and then Heather came back. And it was a little apartment. I don't remember the size. It was like 700 square feet or something. It was on the 11th floor, though. And what I cherished about it, what I treasured, was the view It was a corner on the 11th floor, and out of one window, I could look over and I could actually see Wrigley Field. I could see people when there was a game in the the stands, and if I looked out the other window, I could see Lake Michigan. It was just an incredible view, and I treasured that view. I could watch the sun rise up over Lake Michigan. At night, all the other apartment buildings would light up. It was just really, I sat in that window looking out. I really treasured that. I don't want to go back to that apartment, but I love that view. What's something that you treasured? What's something that's no longer part of your life that you valued and treasured? What do you treasure these days? The Sermon on the Mount today deals with Jesus telling us to store up treasures. And he's saying, do it in heaven, not on earth. And I want to start, before I head into this particular paragraph, I want to start by handling some misconceptions. First of all, this section and this sermon are actually not about money and possessions. It's actually about our hearts. It's about a deeper issue, which is true of Jesus' teachings, his rhetorical questions, his illustrations, his parables. They always dive deep and go to the heart of the person. It's never about the surface or superficial. This is deeper than a talk on money and possessions. It's about where our heart is and what our treasure looks like. Second, money and possessions are not neutral. I know that you can probably quote to me from 1 Timothy 6.10, even if you didn't know the reference, that money is not a root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And probably like me at points, you've thought, well, if I don't love money, then money's not a problem. It's neutral. It's if I attach love to it, it becomes a problem. But that's a misconception. Money is not neutral. It actually has a spiritual force behind it. It is vying for godlike status. It wants your heart. It is insidious. It will creep into your life and it become the love of money and it will become a form of idolatry, or at least it can. So Jesus in Luke 16, 9 and 11, two times refers to mammon, which is the Hebrew way of referring to money and possessions and wealth. 
He calls it unrighteous mammon. It's not neutral. It has a moral attachment to it. It is unrighteous. It has energy and a spiritual force behind it that is working against you and against the kingdom of God. A third misconception is that the treasures stored up in heaven are actually for later. When you die and go to heaven, they're not for now. That's a misconception. In fact, it's a misunderstanding of even the word treasure. Instead of thinking, how can I stockpile and amass like a treasure chest that later I open and it's full of gold and all kinds of precious things, it's more about value, treasure things, care about the things of heaven. There is an element of rewards. We heard that last week. But to think of this in terms of me stockpiling blessing and benefit that I get later, that just doesn't sound like the gospel. That sounds too self-centered. Like it's about me, right? It's, I'm a, I have a preoccupation with myself and my rewards and my treasures that I'm stockpiling, almost as if I could get heaven into my debt. And so I want to suggest that it actually is about heavenly treasures both now and going on for eternity. But I'll come back to that. A fourth misconception is that the actual mammon, the, the money or the the actual wealth or the possession is the idol in idolatry, but it's actually just the surface. There is a root idol in these things that goes much deeper. I watched a movie this week that involved a kid who's the younger brother of his older brother, now grown in their 30s or whatever, who gets a red Corvette Stingray from the late 70s. And it was like his coveted childhood dream car. And his older brother gives it to him. And the reason I bring that up is because it wasn't the car that was driving it. It was his desire to be cool, to be stronger and faster than his brother, to have something to get one up on his older brother who always beat him and stuff. Do you see the difference? It's not about the surface idol, which is the car. It's about the root that's driving it, insecurity, a need to feel strong, or maybe my Corvette's faster than your Honda Accord, so... Now I feel fast, and, and that's, the, that's the root thing that's driving the surface thing. So th these are misconceptions about mammon, about wealth and possessions. There is a root that has to be attended to. And I want to also point out that your formative years and my formative years affect our views of, of wealth and possessions. If you grew up in a really wealthy family and you were given everything you wanted, you might be struggling with a sense of entitlement and you might dis just discard things as if they're not valuable. Or if you grew up in a situation where you didn't have enough, there was always want, there was poverty or guilt attached to stuff, you might have a hoarding tendency. These things are deep and they need to be taken to the Lord. If I'm describing something that you can actually name, that, you, that makes sense to you, I want to encourage you to get a prayer appointment. Come and have the prayer team lay hands on you. Or, or, well, I guess they can't do that now, but they, they'll, pray, they'll pray from a distance. But they will pray that the Holy Spirit would cut those things free so that, so that you're not attached to a past experience. Because those formative experiences can be like a hook in your heart going way on into the future. And it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Now, let me get into the text. The text has three quick paragraphs. This is, the, this is in Matthew chapter 6. There's three quick paragraphs that actually seem to deal with the heart, the mind, and the will. And I'm grateful 
to uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones for this observation of the heart, the mind, and the will. There are just three little paragraphs here in, in uh, Matthew 6, 19 to 24. And I just, I marvel at the structure of Jesus' teaching, how organized it is, how comprehensive it is. There's a saying that what the heart desires, the mind justifies, and the will chooses. Let that sink in. What the heart desires, the mind justifies, and then the will chooses. The heart, the mind, and the will. These three things are handled, it seems, in concentration in these three little paragraphs. Now, chapter 6 is balanced, and it seems like the first part that we looked at last week deals with the believer's relationship to God as father who sees in secret and my point last week was that we ought to live for an audience of one. It's how the believer interacts with God. This week, it's how the believer interacts with the world and possessions and wealth and the systems of the world and all that sort of stuff. So it's how do we as Christians, I'm speaking to you if you're a Christian, how do you approach the world? Now, if you're a skeptic, I want to invite you, by skeptic, I mean you're not sure you'd call yourself a Christian yet, you're still weighing religion, you're not sure what you think of Jesus, you're exploring. I want to encourage you to think of Jesus's three things here, the moth, the rust, and the thief. He says these are three things that can destroy earthly treasures. And what in your life has the staying power to actually transcend death that can be a blessing to you beyond the grave? Jesus is saying, if you live for this world, that's all you'll get. And he has way more for you. I think of the quote from Leo Tolstoy who said, is there any meaning in my life that my inevitable death does not destroy? That question bouncing around in his mind drove him eventually to the gospel. It, it drove him to suicide and then past that, then he heard the gospel and realized that what is offered here can actually transcend death, meaning that will go into the next life. So if you're a skeptic, I'm going to offer you something that will transcend this life. I hope you'll consider it and think about what you treasure and whether or not moth, rust, and thief can wipe that treasure out. And if it does, then what are you left with? So let's look at these three paragraphs, heart, mind, and then the will. Under the heart, Jesus says this. This is Matthew 6, verse 19. That's just three verses. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Heart. Jesus is incredibly pragmatic. Just by laying out these three things of the moth, the rust, and the thieves, he's wiped out anything that you might own that is cloth, that is um, a sheepskin, that is a wool rug or whatever, the moth will get that stuff. He's wiped out everything that is iron in its basis. It'll rust, it'll corrode other materials. And then anything that a thief could come in and take, which could be money. It could be your home, your possessions, that your, someone could burn something down. If you have a talent, that could be taken with physical violence. If you have an important relationship, it could be taken with death. So Jesus is fairly comprehensive in just giving these three pragmatic things, moth, rust, and thief. They're everywhere in this life. And what he's saying is, value and cherish what cannot be touched by those things. What cannot corrode or be eaten or be stolen or destroyed. Well, what are those things? Well, I'll give you two, 
And then I'm going to invite you to talk to the Holy Spirit about what else might be like that in your life. One is friendships, relationships. In Luke chapter 16, verse 9, Jesus says, Use unrighteous mammon to win friends so that they will receive you into eternal habitations. In other words, relationships can transcend the grave. When you and I die, if we're in Christ, we go on to heaven with the whole company of heaven. All the believers who've gone before us and then the ones coming behind us will join with us. Invest in relationships with mammon. Take unrighteous mammon and use it for that good end. Another thing to think about is the church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I think investing money and resources into the church is the best financial investment you can make. And you sit there and you go, okay, Mike, but you work for the church and you get paid to serve the church. Isn't that a conflict of interest? And I've said this before, I work for the church because I believe it is the best investment of myself as well as my resources. I do think that that is a way to invest treasures in heaven because the church is going to keep doing ministry, expanding around the world until Christ returns. It is a heavenly treasure. I pray for the church to multiply and I rejoice when I see places like in India right now where it's like almost at a tipping point of growth where they're about to see exponential growth in the number of Christians in that country. I love when I see that kind of stuff. The church will transcend. It will go all the way through. It will keep bringing people into the kingdom of heaven. So the first part here is where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. So treasure things like relationships, like the ministry of the church and its growth in the world. Tend to your heart's treasures because where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be and not the other way around. The second paragraph is about the mind. Um, Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So there's another movie, an old one. I don't recommend it because it's dark, called Silence of the Lambs. But in this movie, we've got a, uh, an abduction happens, and a young agent, federal agent, is trying to find this missing person. And she's new to the job, played by Jodie Foster. And then she ends up enlisting the help of an imprisoned psycho mastermind guy, played by Anthony Hopkins. He's a brilliant mind, but he's off in a number of ways. He's very frightening as a character. And he helps her figure something out. As they're trying to trace down how this abduction happened, this statement is in the movie. We covet what we see. And so they said, well, who might have seen this woman and then been motivated to abduct her? We covet what we see. Your eye is the lamp of your body. What goes through your eyes affects what you think. You can choose to look at certain things and begin to think about those things. It's funny, the Lord gave me an illustration from my own eye and heart. Yesterday, I laid down on the couch, and I turned on the TV to take a, a bit of rest, and there was NHL hockey on. I was surprised, actually. Edmonton was playing Chicago. They're, they're starting to wind up towards the Stanley Cup. There were no, there were no, nobody was in the crowd. And, you know, I start watching hockey, and it brought me back to being in high school. I played ice hockey in high school, and I, could, I started thinking about skating and how cool it was in the arena and just the feel of the puck on the stick. And just, I was about this close to go on to Amazon and buy a pair of skates. 
It's 100 degrees outside yesterday, and I need a pair of ice skates. Why? Because the eye is the lamp of the, of the body. Because what you look at affects what you think. Right? It's, you can choose to look at other things. So I switched over. I'm in Florida. I better look at the surf report. Well, there's our tropical storm hurricane out there. It's throwing in great waves yesterday. I missed it. Yesterday and the day before. Today it's dangerous and it's all blown apart. I was like, I need a surfboard. I need to get a surfboard. I go surfing like three times a year, maybe. I don't need a surfboard. At the same time, a first-class letter came from India through the ministry that we've been supporting, asking for help, telling me about what's happening and how the church is expanding. It was sitting there, literally on the couch next to me, torn open. I was reading that. I'm watching ice hockey. I'm looking at the surf report. The eye is the, mind of, or is the lamp of the mind into the body. What you look at will start to shape what your desires are. So if the heart wants something, and then the will chooses it, and then the mind justifies it, you can turn that process around. You can, with your eyes, choose to influence what you think about, and you can start to make a conscious decision to do certain things and then to want those things. It works in either direction. And Jesus is telling us, be careful of what you're looking at. Your eye, if it's good, it'll bring light into your life. It will help you in this whole treasures issue. Keep in mind that mammon is not neutral, and it's insidious. It will creep in. It has godlike qualities, which is why it's a part of idolatry. Think about this. Wealth and possessions can provide security, limited, but it can provide a pretty good security for your life here and now. It can give you power, right? Money is muscle. It can give you power and influence. It can give you freedom. You can go places. You can buy what you want. You can do all these things. It can even shape your identity. Those are things that God does. He gives us security, He gives us power. He gives us freedom. He shapes our identity. Money and possessions are godlike, and so they are vying for your heart all the time. Tend your mind via your eyes, which is the lamp of your body. Then the third thing is your will. Jesus says, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. That's a choice, right? It's in the will, your volition. I decide, do I want to serve this master or this master? I have a choice. No one can serve two, though, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. In case you missed this, Jesus is super explicit. I always like this because he's clear. You cannot serve God and money. That's the last bit of verse 24. And the funny thing is, you can for a little bit. You can actually have both of those as masters, as long as they're running on parallel tracks. But inevitably, a moment of choice will come, and you're going to have to say, I'm going to do what God says, or I'm going to do what the money says, or the possession, or whatever my real treasure is. I either treasure what God says, or I treasure what my heart wants. If they're not the same, the tracks diverge, and a choice is forced. And you know, frankly, because God loves you and me, he forces those decisions in our life. Think of Abram and his son Isaac, his beloved son, the son of promise. He loved Isaac, his son. He waited for years. He had Isaac in his old age. He really cherished and treasured his son. But God wanted to make sure Abram knew that God was first, right? We, we say the summary of the law in our worship because it's so important for us. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the summary of the law. And the Ten Commandments come right out and say, don't have any other gods before me. God needs to be number one. So what does he do? Abram, I want you to sacrifice your son, Isaac. It's in Genesis 22. He actually gets fire, goes up, builds an altar, 
binds up his son Isaac, and he's about to slay him. And then an angel of the Lord stops his hand and says, no, now I know that I'm number one in your heart and not your son Isaac. God forced that choice so Abram would know. He does it for us. Often creates an opportunity, a fork in the road. Which way are you going to go? God-centered or a different vision? Now, I told you I was going to offer you something better. And I'm going to jump over to Ephesians. And I want to, I want to tell you that Christ is the true treasure. He is the great reward. He is what you and I are longing for. And frankly, if you have him, you get everything else as well. Listen to what Ephesians 1 says in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Perfect tense. It is accomplished in the past, and the effects are coming forward into the future. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then down at verse 7. In him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. In Christ, you know the mind of God and the mystery of the ages. In him, verse 11, we have obtained an inheritance. We have so much in Christ that all the other things should pale in comparison. But what happens is we get myopic. We shrink down and we look at what's right here in front and we lose the heavenly perspective. And so Jesus is saying, store up treasures in heaven. Have the heavenly value. Treasure things that will transcend this life. Treasure things that are eternal. And do so in Christ Jesus, who is your great treasure. So application, just a couple of quick things. Therefore, set your mind on the good news. It's long been the pattern of the Anglican Church to recommend daily reading, even morning and evening prayer, to read the scriptures daily, to remind ourselves of things like what Ephesians just said. When when one of your earthly treasures is compromised, to read that you are already blessed in the heavenly places with everything in Christ Jesus, you have an inheritance, that can help you get perspective. So set your mind on the good news. Choose, set your will on investing the resources that are at your possession right now into heavenly things. I, I, I call it this way. Become a venture capitalist for the kingdom. Think about where you could put some of that, that muscle that is money behind a kingdom initiative and see what it does. That's a choice. You could choose right now to give money to India or buy ice skates. Literally, you have that, or at least I have that choice. You probably do too. That's, a, that's about the will. Decide to be a venture capitalist for the kingdom. And your heart, the heart is the very core. It's, it's what is so important. And Jesus, you, you need to deal with him on your heart. Talk to the Holy Spirit about root idols, things that are below the stuff of your life. What is driving the need for that new thing or, or that why you keep wanting to change your job or why one relationship isn't satisfactory or you know, fill in the blank. What is driving that? Could it be idolatry? The insidious nature of mammon is different than other sins. And I'll, I'll close with just kind of a, a graphic illustration that I heard from one of the scholars I read this week. It's not like a, a, adultery. Adultery, you don't find yourself in bed with someone else's spouse and halfway through go, hey, wait a minute. I think this could be adultery. Never happens like that. However, with, with the idolatry of mammon, you can be really far down the path and not even aware 
of how much it's got control of your heart. And it will keep creeping in. And so ask the Holy Spirit, show me my heart, Lord. Help me see where my idolatry is. Help me have a heavenly vision. Help me store up treasures and value the things that are eternal instead of these temporal things. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray and I'll invite the music team to come back up and then we're going to sing a song, Be Thou My Vision, which is perfect. So setting our vision on the God of eternity when it comes to this topic. But let's, let's together pray. Lord, I'm grateful for your generosity with us and your patience. I'm grateful for the blessings that we have in Christ. Father, for anyone listening today who does not know you, I pray that you would show them the futility of trusting in this world and the great joy of trusting in Christ. And Father, for each one of us that are struggling with the topic of money and possessions, I pray for freedom. I pray for joyful generosity. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would empower us to live this Sermon on the Mount. For it is indeed impossible in our own strength. But with you, Lord, what is impossible to us is actually possible. In fact, you tell us it's your will. Help us, I pray in the name of Christ. Amen.